everybody, and welcome to the Battlefield Theologian Podcast. Today I have a special guest, which I'm excited to have on the show today, R.C. Sproul Jr. And the focus of our podcast today that we're going to be looking at and talking about is, Can Sin Be My Identity? R.C., welcome to the show, brother. Well, thank you, Ethan. I'm happy to be here. So, R.C., for those of people who may have had their head in the sand and they may hear your name, but they're not sure exactly who you are, just would you mind just giving us a, a brief background bio and then also kind of what you're up to these days? Absolutely. Well, I am uh, the son of uh, one of the most well-known theologians of the uh, last uh, 50 years or so, happily so. I uh, had a wonderful relationship with my father. Uh, that said, um, I, I was blessed to be able to work alongside him. I uh, served as a teaching fellow uh, at Ligonier Ministries, which is the ministry that he founded. And teaching fellows were sort of brought on later uh, in his life to help carry the load and carry on after he would be called home. I was also uh, the rector of Reformation Bible College. My responsibilities there was to maintain the theological integrity of the institution, and I was also a professor there. Um, so I've had a long history of uh, uh, teaching, but I, I love the name of your uh, podcast, as a battlefield theologian. Uh, when Ligonier first started, uh, it wasn't unusual to describe uh, what Ligonier was doing as a battlefield seminary or a uh, MASH kind of seminary. And so all the work that I've done with Ligonier, I served as the editor of their magazine, Table Talk, for many, many years, and a columnist as well. Uh, over the course of the last five or so years, uh, I have been uh, running a ministry called Dunamis Fellowship, uh, and Dunamis does uh, a lot of uh, a lot of teaching in similar kind of ways. I speak at uh, events around the country and around the world. Uh, I put out a weekly podcast. Uh, I have a blog that caught your attention. Uh, and uh, in addition to that, I train men for uh, ministry, host a weekly Bible study that we put out uh, publicly. So uh, just any opportunity that we have to uh, bring to bear the things that God has taught uh me, I, I'm wanting to share and put out there. Uh, by the way, I, if, if I can do a minor plug, if you're curious about that more, just go to rcsproljr.com and you can see all the things that we're doing. Yeah, and I'll put that in the show notes too. And I, I was wondering when we first started interacting, when I told you the podcast name, I'd be like, I, he's got to know where this Because I've had a lot of people ask me, hey, where did you come from? Is because you're in the military. I said, well, Yes and no. I, I heard your dad mention it one time, and then how uh -huh. he explained it is like bringing theology to the people, and they're the one waging the war. I'm like, yeah, we need more of that. And I was Amen. shocked that no one has like emphasized that more yeah. about the necessity of bringing people and raising people up to the level of sound doctrine theology to be able to wage war against the culture and everything else. And so, yeah, in a way, it does have something to do with my past within the wars and stuff like that. But more importantly, it's the spiritual war uh, that I just think is way more important right now anyway. So absolutely. Yeah. So, well, RC, thanks for introducing that. I, I think that's really helpful and awesome. And I'll be uh, talking today with you and as everyone who's joining us, whether it's on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube, 
we're looking at can sin be my identity and as rc and i heard i wish i would have started the recording right at the beginning that's usually how it always goes too. yeah sometimes the pre-show convo yeah uh, and so a lot of times as a pastor and i know rc you've come across this too is people loop their identity of what they had done in the past regarding sin and it has now followed them in an ongoing if you will dark cloud or shadow that prevails and almost dictates what they choose. And if you guys go, and I'm going to put this exact link in the show notes on, it, he wrote it October 30th of 2023, can sin by, be my identity? And he he takes this specifically, or he takes this against uh, and everything else. And we're going to talk today, not specifically regarding the sin of homosexuality, but sin as as a whole. And how can we as Christians, how should we view and frame our minds about our past sin, uh, our current sin, and then what is the result for Christians? So the first question, I think this is kind of a layup, and we all know okay. this to be true, is do Christians still sin? If so, why and how? Well, absolutely. We all know that we do. I, I think it was Mark Twain, it might have been H.L. Uh, Mencken, uh, one of them said, uh, that the doctrine of original sin is the that doctrine for which the world provides the most empirical evidence. <laughs> so uh, we don't have to look far uh, to see that we continue to sin. Uh, and while there are uh, those uh, who claim to have attained a level of sinlessness, I've never personally met one in the wild, so... Uh, <laughs> They're somehow uh, out there, though. Yeah, yeah. Apparently so. Um, but uh, you know, when you ask the why, I always try to help people understand that every why question, if you take it to its ultimate level, the answer is always for God's glory and for our good. And that applies here, too. Why do Christians sin? Well, they sin because, on the one hand, uh, on the nearer level, we still have a battle going on. We have uh, a flesh or an old man that has been uh, declared to be dead, but nevertheless is still active and will be until we die. You know, we start out, uh, if I can visualize it, we start out fallen like this. We're going to end up upright but the whole process of sanctification is that movement. And because and until you're here, there's going to be sin. Yeah. And you don't get here till you die. So, yeah, that's one way to answer the question. But ultimately, it's for God's glory and for our good. Now, that doesn't make sin good. It's not. Uh, but it does mean that God is sovereign over it and that, uh, that he works in and through it, just like we see in Romans 8.28. So how is God glorified? Well, one of the ways God's glorified in sin is uh, by forgiving it, by demonstrating his grace. Uh, that's the, the, really the central story of the story of Scripture and history. It's the glory of God, uh, yes, in the uh, punishment of sinners, but also the glory of God in his grace and mercy in rescuing sinners. Uh, in order for that story to be told, there needs to be sinners, uh, so he's glorified in that, which of course, again, doesn't mean we should sin all the more that Christ might abound. We're very clear about that in the Bible. Uh, but for us, in terms of our good, if we are believers, if we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, what sin does 
is it drives us to Christ, even after we've already come to Christ. You know, we have this idea that, that sort of bifurcates our lives where we have this moment of salvation and then everything changes. Well, a lot of things do change, but one is we continue to sin. Another is we continue to believe. Another is we continue to run towards him. Another is the law continues to be a schoolmaster to us, teaching us not only what pleases God, but teaching us our need for God's grace. So, uh, at the end of the day, uh, we sin because, uh, it, it, reminds us of our need for God's grace. It reminds us of our need to show each other grace. Uh, It's a daily, my grace is sufficient message from the Lord. Yeah, and I like to, uh, as you're describing this, is that just we are now saved in the process of sanctification. And I love Edward's view on the will as it relates to sin. Yes. For many of us, the, the reason why we choose sin, our will has now been freed in Christ. But what makes us sin, you know, it not makes us sin. We ourselves, in our own nature, we will do this on our own accord. But what Edward says, and I love this, is that the desire that is most prevalent at that time dictates the change or the decision that you make. So the example I always like to use is, let's just say I want to go on a diet. I want, yes. to lose, I want to lose weight. But at the same time, I see a delicious looking Oreo cookie or a Twinkie or whatever it is that you enjoy eating. Well, what desire is going to prevail in my choosing? Well, my desire to eat that Oreo is going to overtake my desire to lose weight. So same thing with sin is now that we are in Christ, we have the desire now to pursue after holiness, to pursue after sanctification and growing in our knowledge of who God is. But then we also still, as you said, have that sin nature that is still attached to us. And it's not until we receive our glorified bodies that we will be purged of that. And so really, I think it comes down to it's a day by day, minute by minute, second by second. And even too, what I've seen in my own life is that that desire of sin gets planted a day, two, three choice until later down the road, if you don't squash that desire. And so I think that's important for us as Christians to know, like, well, why is it that I'm sinning? To boil it down, you're sinning because your desire to sin overtakes your desire to obey God. Yeah, because you're sinning because you want to. And by the way, I hope it's an encouragement to you to know that uh, you are far ahead of me in terms of sanctification, because when I make the same illustration, I'm com- I compare a bowl of Brussels sprouts with a bowl of ice cream, not one Oreo cookie. That I can fight that temptation all day long, but if it's a big uh, serving of unhealthy uh, treats, that's a better that's illustration. Yeah, because yeah. I would never choose the Brussels sprouts. Yes, exactly. But I think that illustration, though, that helps us understand because I think so often people think, you know, and this is the issue, and I don't want to get us off topic here, of people thinking, oh, well, how do you know you're saved? Well, I said the prayer, I walked the aisle, I got baptized, I whatever, and then there's this expectation that they have. From then on now, I can live about a life and I'm not going to sin, or if I do sin, God's okay with it, and it's almost this this freedom stamp of go and do what you want because you've already been saved and you've already been redeemed. Yeah, there's, it comes in both sides uh, in this sense that there are those who think, well, I got saved, and when I got saved, God forgave my sins up until that point, and from here on in, I'm really not going to sin. If I do sin, it's going to be a small sin, and, and uh, in one of my books, I say the reason we think that is because we don't 
understand or read our Bibles. Because the Bible is full of stories of believers, not the least of which is King David, who are already believers who fall into the most grievous and wicked of sins. That's normal. Uh, And so this idea that we we get saved and then, you know, what? yeah, maybe I I say an uncouth word if I hammer my thumb uh, with a hammer, but then I don't do it anymore. Or we have the opposite side where I'm so... Uh, what's the word for it? I'm so discouraged by my sin that I'm now beginning to doubt whether or not I'm saved. And there's certainly times and places where we should doubt it. When David was in the midst of his sin, he should not have been walking in the greatest level of assurance. Uh, But that said, you know, the whole point is, the whole point of the gospel is we're not saved because we're good. Uh, either before or after, you know. I, I I remember hearing a story about a wonderful Scottish pastor in a small little church, uh, and one of the young ladies uh, had uh, gotten pregnant when she wasn't married, and she came forward for the communion, and the pastor offered it to her and she couldn't take it and she's crying and she's weeping and and all he said the the punchline of the story is take it lassie it's for sinners and that's just so beautiful and so the, essential and central to the gospel uh that we need to have that and if she sits there and says well i'm not worthy because of this sin or that sin. Well, of course she's not worthy. None of us are. That's the point. I mean, I, I wonder about that oftentimes when we consider uh, the call to worthiness before you come to the Lord's table. And I always say the only way you can be possibly be worthy to come to the Lord's table is if you acknowledge your unworthiness. Yeah. Well, it, you know, especially with that too is, you know, uh, I like to think of what happened with Calvin at uh, his church in Geneva in which he closed off the Lord's Supper for those who are unwilling to repent, uh, these individuals who were going around and thinking having all things in common meant polygamy and meant mm-hmm. all this other stuff. And when they came in one day, those guys with the swords came in to take communion and Calvin stood between them and the Lord's Supper and says, not at all, unless you're going to take me in my dead body. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that is people living in open, unrepented sin. Right. But what R.C. and I are discussing is a Christian who has sinned, who has made a mistake, a terrible, grievous, whatever it is, all sin through the eyes of God is viewed the same way, is that they have repented, but yet they still feel condemned. And I think that's really like the, at the core of what you and I are discussing today that right. I think so many people struggle with. And I want to make a distinction too. I think we we must make the, this distinction of before Christ, before we are in Christ, that sin that we did one that should not come with us into salvation right we, we need to put that to rest so we have that we have that sin that we need to put to rest that we've got to deal with but then now on this side of salvation when we sin on this side of salvation we also have to still do the same thing of putting that sin to rest mm-hmm. and i think what happens rc is that people their sins prior to christ and this is this is my own thing as well and some of those sins had followed me early on in my christian walk is that I thought that those sins, I had to, and I I don't know why we think this way, and tell me if you do this too sometimes, it's like, you feel like you have to go through this 
this period of almost like I have to beat myself and get hurt, and I deserve that. I right. sinned. I, now I need to pay for my dues. Uh, and then until a certain time period, now it's good. Now, before Christ, I felt that way. Even now in Christ, I still get to that that thought process of sometimes like, dude, I can't believe I said that, or I can't believe I thought that. And then it's like, I've got to make payment now for the next however long until I feel better about myself. Right. Yeah. And it's very, very common. And what it ends up being, it, it, you're absolutely right. And, and it marries together with what you were saying about Calvin, uh, the Lord's Supper, the grace of God, all of this is for the repentant. And you don't get to keep doing these things unrepentantly. In fact, that's what sets us apart from the world uh, at the end of the day. It, you know, it's not, we're both sinners, uh, but the difference is we're repentant sinners. We acknowledge that. So that's absolutely right. But uh, when we acknowledge it, we have to believe the gospel. Mm. And and we and by when we recognize that we need to repent, the temptation, what the devil does there is he he wants us to believe that repentance is feeling really terrible for a certain amount of time, and as if our sorrow over our sin could atone for our sin. You're never going to be sad enough long enough. Mm-hmm. It's the work of Christ, by the way, the finished work of Christ. So it's it's done, and and to fail to acknowledge it, it's it's again like the like the young lady at the Lord's Supper. To fail to acknowledge it is to an affront to our Lord when He says, "R.C., I forgive you," and I say, "Well, you know." you shouldn't, or I'm not worthy, or uh, I can't forgive myself, all of those are defying the Lord who bought us. It is literally saying, Jesus, you're wrong. Uh, now, why do you why do you think that is? Because I, I want to try and unpack this, because you're, everyone, if, if you're sitting here listening to this, you're like, oh, that's not me. That's a shock. Uh, everyone deals with that. Where do you think that inward, I also now, like, I, I think it, you know, well, I don't want to answer because I don't know. I want to kind of milk this out a little bit. Where do you think that comes from? Where do you think this, this we must now have this sorrow. We must now pay some dues. We must now also contribute something in regarding the final effects of being forgiven. I guess that's a yeah. good way of wording Yeah, that, that. is it's... a good way of putting it. And I think it, it touches on my first answer. It's all because of our inner Pelagius. Uh, and we, we need to put to death the inner Pelagius. Uh, Pelagius, of course, being a, a, a British monk uh, in the days of St. Augustine, who uh, really argued that, that we justify or we have the capacity to obey God's law uh, and thus contribute to our salvation. And what that, it's a pride thing. I don't want to be utterly, absolutely, fully dependent. So that's, that's, uh, one part of it. Uh, another part of it, again, is a, an, a, a reaction to, uh, an unhealthy, easy believism where we take the view that all you have to do to be forgiven is say you are sorry. Well, 
saying you're sorry won't do anything for you. Uh, you have to be sorry, and that being sorry uh, looks an awful lot like some level of sorrow. Mm. But, you know, and so I don't want to deny that we should enter into our guilt, that we should feel the weight of our guilt, but it should not, it should only be long enough to cry out for God's mercy in Christ and then to receive it. It's not something you carry around with you the rest of your life. You're exactly right. It's, it's the pride of the not total dependence and reliance on everything from Christ. Yep. And it's the thought, I think it really comes down to the perversion of a humanistic standpoint in our walk because we think that we have to do something, we have to contribute something. And then I think it is even in the Christianese jargon of, are you sorry for your sins? There's a huge difference between guilt Mm-hmm. You know, you can be a sorry basketball player, you can be a sorry baseball player, but that that's like describing the the mode or your ability at performing said duty. Right. But if I am repentant, and I think our guilt, like you just said, I think it, that's a beautiful explanation, is the guilt should l- convict you as much as it needs to unto repentance for you in Christ. And then once that act of repentance happens, then you need to re- relinquish that. Yes. That guilt should, if if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that's the case. But why is it though, RC, that we, we confess that and then we still feel like there's a burn-off period of like, now I've got to let that kind of go out a little bit more, maybe a week or two. And I think it varies from person to person until they feel better about themselves is essentially what I think it comes down to. Yeah, I, I again, I, I think it's the same two things. I, I, I imagine if I can mix a metaphor, as I'm listening to you, I'm imagining uh, Pilgrim from Pilgrim's Progress having that weight of that, that stone removed from his back. Uh, and then I'm thinking about the woman caught in adultery and Jesus saying, go and sin no more and imagining uh, Christian having Jesus remove this rock and Jesus saying, now follow me, kind of go and sin no more. And Christian picking the rock back up and putting it on his back while he's trying to follow Jesus. And Jesus turns around and says, what in the world are you doing? doing? I told you to let that go. I got that covered. Why are Hmm. you carrying that? Well, you know, I mean, there's, there is no good answer. There's no, it, it is an affront to his grace. And the, now that said, there is a push inside the church to make people uh, try to carry that guilt after it's been covered. Uh, I, I, during that pre-show that we, we talked about, I mentioned that for me, uh, for you know, I've had a couple of scandals in my life, and uh, they're things that are, you know, genuinely shameful sins, um, but they're things that I've repented of and that I've embraced God's grace uh, for, and so I don't carry them around anymore. But when I meet somebody, uh, a fellow believer who I haven't run into for whatever reason, and they see me, they often act like, well, I have to go through this all over again. I have to repent in front of them. I have to, you know, I have to to get their forgiveness. I can't go around acting like I've had forgiveness. I'm supposed to walk in shame. 
And, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this too. It happens so often when I'm engaged in theological uh, or even other discussions, when I'm engaged in debate and argument, uh, I know that uh, I'm, I'm not going to be able to help the person anymore when they decide to bring up one of my scandals. Yeah. Uh, it's just, well, okay. What they're saying is, you've done this in your past, and therefore I don't have to listen to you. Uh, now, I don't have any authority over these folks, but but bringing the word of God to bear does, despite my sin. Uh, and so I... I, I <laughs> It's as bad of a thing as it is for us to identify ourselves in light of our sin. It's an even worse thing to identify other believers by their worst sins. Well, I think with that, you're spot on. It's as if God's grace is sufficient unto salvation to take a dead person spiritually to life spiritually, but then to maintain the life vitality in that Christian in an ongoing manner, despite a sin or despite a failure. And also, too, I think this, it, it just spits in the face of them thinking, or it spits in the face of God's holiness. Because if you think that you've got to walk around in a certain way, and I'm projecting that onto you. I've now elevated myself to a superior level of Christian status right. over and above you to think that I am without sin. That's why I love in, in, using that one illustration, too, where Jesus is like, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. So, right. you know, and also, too, being cautious not to judge somebody with the speck in their eyes. I've got the log in my eye because we we know that people sin. We know that Christians sin. Uh, sometimes the people's sin finds them out. Sometimes it does not. Ultimately, we know eventually it all will be revealed yep. in the last day. And so that should scare you. And if you have not repented of that sin, uh, then that is going to be this consistent burden that you are going to carry. But if you have confessed that, you move on. And the same thing with other Christians. You know, there's there's people that I have personally known that have cheated on their spouse. Mm -hmm. And the, the individuals are talking like, well, you know, what should I do? I said, well, you've confessed it to Christ, right? Yeah. And it's genuine repentance. It's not like what me and you're saying, RC, of like, oh, I just feel sorry because I got caught. It's no, they, they truly are broken over it. Then have you repented to your spouse? Well, yeah, I have. Okay. So now you've done all that you can do. Now you need to continue to live your life in pursuit of Christ. And then you've got to let your spouse work through that on their own. And then mm -hmm. you've got to let everyone else in your life work through that in their own too. But by no means should you be living your life where you're just, because if you're living under that shadow and that gloom of like, I cannot thrive in Christ anymore because of this past transgression, you will not be a useful tool for Christ. You will be useless because you'll right. be so concerned with the opinion of man that it is going to usurp your usefulness for Christ. Yeah. Do you see it that way too? Because oh, that's how I see that. Yeah, and in fact, uh, sadly, it, it it happens all the time. You know, I've I've served as a pastor where uh, we've had grievous sin in the congregation, and we had genuine repentance, and we had genuine forgiveness, and I thought everything was fine. But six months later, multiple occasions, the people who committed the grievous sin who'd been forgiven leave to go someplace else. And it's simply because they can't bear the weight of having everyone know 
their grievous sins. Well, and that that's because too of what we were just talking about, because they're getting judged simultaneously from the people within. Like, oh, there he goes. We know yeah. what that guy did. Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's just it's so antithetical to the gospel that that is the defining quality of what the church is. We're the fellowship of the repentant. We're the ones who you you can't get in here unless or until you confess your sins and how awful you are. So what in the why in the world would someone ever feel lesser in that that body that gathers? Again, I, when I feel discouraged by those sort of ongoing uh, a, a lack of forgiveness from other people, who by the way I don't need their forgiveness because I haven't wronged them. Um, but other people who want to look down their nose at me, I, I, I use that, uh, you know, that story about Spurgeon, where the young man, he's a pastor in London, there's a whispering campaign going on against him, and he comes to this older, wiser Spurgeon seeking his counsel, uh, and Spurgeon says, well, what I want you to do is go into your prayer room and start giving thanks to God. He said, well, I'd just been telling you all about this whispering campaign, these horrible things people were saying about me. He said, yeah, I want you to not pray about that. I want you to go and thank God. Well, you thank God for, for what? Not that there's not a lot, but well, thank God for what? He said, thank God they don't really know you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when I think about the things that people want to hold on to of my own sins and realize uh, th those sins that aren't known, or even those that are, but they don't think about. You know, when I come to the Lord's table, when anyone comes to the Lord's table, we're not just confessing that this is his body and this is his blood. We're confessing this is his body broken for me. This is his bloodshed for me, which means I'm guilty of crucifying the Lord of glory. And you want to talk to me about a DUI? I I drove the nails into Jesus's hands, and I'm openly saying this. And by the way, those of you who are looking down at me are also openly saying this. This is, again, why, why the congregation is supposed to be this place of blessing and love and security and vulnerability, because we know who we are and what we are. Well, and I, th I think, too, in Acts 2.42, where it says, and they had all things in common— Right where where it talks about that, I think so often we think the all things in common part is the good things, of, yeah. you know. But it's also no, no, no. We all know that we sin. We have also we now Christ is the superior thing that is uniting all of us. But we also know that we are not without sin, mm -hmm. and if we say that we're not, then we're lying. Right. Yep. So we we have to know this, and then also too, I think it comes down to a mind shift because. What you said, too, about like the, the people who were restored. I mean, when you look at the Matthew 18 principle, the whole point in church discipline is to restore them. It's not to alienate them. It's not to isolate them. It's to restore them back into the brotherhood. It's to restore yep. them back into the life of the church. Because if the church was just really quick to just, we cut everybody off who never who, who gets caught sinning, uh, then the, the church would be, well, nowadays it probably would be more empty because things are getting caught more easily, but also yep. all those people with those closet sins are like, haha, you're not going to catch me. But the yep. thing as well regarding sin and people's identity driving or their sin is driving their identity is they sin, they're not getting caught, but they, they feel that guilt. 
right? And yeah, rightly so. Right. They should feel that yep. guilt. Yep. And then I don't see them for a week, two weeks. Reach out to them. Maybe I go grab coffee. Hey, where have you been? Oh, well, I, you know, I messed up, man. I messed up. I'm like, cool. So have I. No, like I've really messed up. Great. Like, <laughs> what have you done? Have you murdered somebody and the cops are looking for you? Then that's, you know, I get it. Now the civil magistrates, we got to turn you in. But no, it's right. not that. Well, I just, I got to get my life right before I get back into church. What are you talking about? Right. And that's the thing that I don't understand is that, that I've heard that so many times. I got to get my life right before I get back into church. No, that's the best time to be in church is when your life is not right. To Amen. be in the fellowship of the believers, to hear the word of God proclaimed, to worship God. And that brings you back into that fellowship. Because what I see that the devil always tries to do with us is he tries to isolate us. He he wants yeah. to isolate and to push off to the side. I love I love Proverbs 18. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but expressing his own opinion. You isolate yourself. You are seeking the inward desire of the person. So if I sin, I'm like, well, I can't go to church. I need a I need to get my life right back. I'm seeking what I think to be true, not what the Bible says that I ought to do. Right. Amen. You know? Well, you know, I, I think uh, I, I warn people all the time that we have this propensity to think that what the devil does is he comes and tempts us to some particular sin, some sort of uh, illicit pleasure, and that his end game is we're going to enjoy it, we're going to want more of it, we're going to... Uh, flee from God so that we can do this when the reality is what the devil when, when the devil's tempting us to do X it's so that if we do X he can turn around and say to us you're terrible and God hates you it's not hey come do it again it's look at what you did you are just so awful you're you know uh I I, I just honestly I, I feel like we just don't really embrace and understand the simple gospel. We can say it, we can recite it, uh, you know, Jesus died for my sins, uh, but we don't look at people the way he looks at us. We don't look at our brothers and sisters and say, that person's sins have been covered by the blood of Christ. Why in the world would I sit around thinking I'm better than them? The only thing we have in order to have anything that is positive is the blood of Christ. He's got it. I got it. We're the same. Now, let's let's flip the script here. So we've been talking about the condemnation, sin, shame cycle that we feel. We know that we don't need to do that. We know that we need to repent. But how do we move past this? How is it that we should be trying to go forward for ourselves? Like, what does that look like? How how are we to, especially to, let me add in another even, to, to make it a little bit even harder of a difficult question for you is, what do you do if you are repenting, but you still have this ongoing sin in your life? Uh, okay. I, I have a lot of people asking me that. So I guess that's two different questions. One, how are we supposed to now live, Francis Schaefer, right? And then two, right. what to do if there has been or is an ongoing sin issue that you're dealing with as a Christian? Well, you know, I, I once said, uh, if you don't 
think you have a besetting sin, then at least one of your besetting sins is ignorance about your besetting sins. Uh, we've all got uh, sins that we continue to struggle with. And what I try to remind people, again, a uh, lot of tender consciences uh, who are uh, oftentimes uh, worried about their assurance and all of that. And I, again, remind them uh, what God calls us to is the fight. He doesn't promise us the victory until we die. And so the difference between, let's say, when Paul says, uh, gives his list of people who do this, who practice this, who practice this, who practice this, who practice this, will not inherit the kingdom of God, uh, listing a series of, of grievous sins, he then turns around and says to the same people he's speaking to, such once were you. Well, that doesn't mean that none of them ever had that temptation again. Mm. It doesn't mean none of them ever lost a skirmish again. It means that they kept fighting. And so again, I would say to, to go back to that subgroup of people that are in the news for wanting to identify with their sin, the homosexual uh, professing Christian, uh <laughs> You have to fight this, and the difference between you and the one who falls under the condemnation of God is that you're fighting. Now, you're fighting by resting in the finished work of Christ. You're fighting by uh, availing yourself of the means of grace. You're, you know, all of those kinds of wise things. So, first thing you got to do is you you can't give up. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, this is not among other issues in my own life. I've struggled with um, nicotine addiction. Happily, I'm now five years off of that. Uh, and that's a great thing to be free of. And my mindset, again, I'm not trying to beat up on anybody who's got a nicotine issue. My mindset was the Bible says, don't let anything rule over you. And it became needful to me. Mm. And... Uh, I, I, I'm not allowed to have something be needful to me. Well, uh, I have to continue uh, to fight that temptation. But I would get to these places uh, where I would just fail so often that I would just say, look, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to think about it. Don't mention it to me. Don't encourage me. I'm, I, I will come back to the issue of quitting and getting off of nicotine at some point. But right now, I'm just not going to fight this fight. And that was wrong. That was absolutely wrong. And again, you talk about why, why do we sin. One of, the, one of the things that's always helped me uh, every time I've had a successful quit, none of them have stuck so far, but I'm at five years now, uh, is failing. You know, I, I went 12 years with no nicotine. And it happened because I went two months and I failed. And I was like, I am never going to feel like that again. Mm. And so uh, I didn't for nine, 12 years, but <laughs> uh, the, the point is, you, you got to fight. The point yeah. is, you and that fight is not in your own strength. That fight is dependence upon God's grace. That fight is, uh, help me, Jesus. Uh, and now, in terms of embracing the forgiveness that we have, how do we help? How do we get better from that? I, I wish I had a simple answer for that. I, I believe that uh, I, I, when I'm... Uh, 
teaching pastors how to preach, one of the earliest things I tell them is you should always go from the text to the table. Every sermon should go from the text to the table because every text tells us about what Jesus did for us. And Jesus gave us the table to remember these things. And the application of every sermon is believe the gospel more. Okay? Believe that you are a sinner more. Believe that Jesus is your Redeemer more. Believe that your Heavenly Father loves you more. And when you do that, uh, it, it pushes back against that identity as a sinner. I'm a beloved son of my Heavenly Father. Uh, and he, every week, he invites me to come sit at table with him. And I become one of the uh, uh, olive trees around his table that he delights in, like Psalm 128. Uh, so I, I, I genuinely believe that we haven't, we're almost afraid, particularly those of us who are a little bit more theologically persnickety uh, and precise. Uh, it's like we're afraid to really believe in God's grace. I've described it before this way. You've got some people taking the book Song of Solomon, and they are so afraid of the sexual uh, imagery in it that they want to hurry up and, and turn it into a metaphor uh, for Christ in the church. And then you have Reformed people like me who, when that happens, are so embarrassed by the idea that God really loves me that we want to go back and say, no, that's not what it is uh, at all. We, we need to embrace the actual, infinite, immutable, by-name love of the Father for us in Christ. Uh, and, you know, more than anything, that's what he wants for us. And so we never, ever go to him and doubt his grace. I, I, I would even put this in, in light of God's law that we're so used to, and there's, there's nothing wrong with this. It's just not everything. We frame God's law. We frame our sin as a failure to acknowledge God's authority. And it is most assuredly that. Uh, that is an affront to his dignity. And it most assuredly is that. But what we miss is it's an insulting failure to trust him. You know, if if you've ever, uh, well, so Adam and Eve are in the garden and God's blessing them and loving them and delighting in them. And the serpent comes around and says to Eve, has God indeed said? And all of a sudden now she's skeptical of him. And so I'm saying when he comes to the garden, it's not just how dare you defy me, but it's a tender, I've given you my love. Why don't you trust me? Uh, and when you do that, then you, when you realize God's law is not a burden that we're called to carry, but an invitation to joy. One, you can have genuine repentance. Two, you run to him because you know he loves you. He's not holding a grudge. So I, I, I guess at the end of the day, the answer is the way we do this is we preach the gospel to ourselves.
And I think too, I mean, that's beautiful is as we're looking at everything you're saying is we, we've got to understand, and I think you're right too, we still cannot fully comprehend, nor can we on this side of earth, the immeasurable grace that he has lavishly given to us. Yes. But then I think too, specifically too, and I love, you know, you've got your 12 years break now, five years uh -huh. is what I love to encourage people with who are struggling with an ongoing sin is, are you seeing any kind of a victory? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it may be you, you stop it for a day, then that leads to two, then that three, and then it begins to compound. Yep. And if you have a desire to die to that sin and you truly have the desire to not do that sin, then your actions should be showing some kind of a fruit of your willingness to comply and obey yeah. with what and how we are to live. And so if you're listening to this and you are dealing with some kind of an ongoing sin, you must, like you said, RC, you must fight that, uh, you know, and we're not fighting that in and of our own power, but you must recognize the complexities of the gospel. But I think that's been an ambiguous term lately that has been used is the gospel means whatever I want it to mean to the extent that I want it to mean. Yeah. But what is salvation? What is it to actually live in Christ for Christ, for his glory? And you can see victory over that sin. And what I like to tell people is that, especially some of these young men and some of the sins that they're dealing with is, man, Ethan, I, you know, it's been six months. I haven't looked at porn in a while. It's been great. I said, no, I'm just going to warn you. I said, amen. I'm proud of you, but I just want to let you know the second you think that you can do this in and of your own accord, the fall will be even more greater. The longer the length of time of you not doing that sin and then you'll fall back into that and there will be that temptation and you can fall back in. And then comes the true test is you've already seen how hard it was for you to fight for those six months or that eight months or that year. And then now you feel as if you're back to ground zero and you've got to start it all over again. And some guys, they're just like, I'm done. I'm not going to do it anymore. I've tried and I failed. It's like, dude, it is an ongoing until the day you're called home fight in a battle. And... Yeah. It's got to be viewed that way. Absolutely. But th even there's a place where I would want to add and say, look, God's not asking you to carry the burden of not looking at porn. God is inviting you to the joy of not looking at porn. That, that, that when you're tempted, it's you thinking this is a good idea. And it's not. Every single time when we're facing any temptation, we're at that crossroads, I'm going to go this way. God says go that way. What I've discovered over 58 years of life is every single time he's right and I'm wrong. It has never, ever been a better result, a happier result for me to choose my way as opposed to his. It might give you some kind of a very temporary satisfaction of going to the bar, going to do whatever, but ultimately... The after effects of that, I believe, are the fallout and the collateral damage are so far more devastating when it's, you know, we're just such simple minded people, you know, it's just yes, like we're... it's it's so simple, but yet it's still so complex. But if we think that it is of our own pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and I've got to rely on Ethan all day long. No, like right. the second we get up out of day, immediately we need to confront ourselves with the truths of scripture 
you know, as Ephesians 6 says, we must put on that full armor of God. And I know some people use that in a corny sense. And I remember as a kid, it's like, yeah, I've got my sword. In it. yeah. It's like, but no, like legit, like right? you put on this stuff, you saturate yourself with God's word. And what I always like to tell people too is if you've got that cup, right, and it's filled with water, and that water is a representation of being filled with God's word. Like we know that we're fully indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's not in right. portions, but the Holy Spirit or the, the scripture should consume us. But the second I stop, I allow the opportunity for other things to come in. But when you're saturating yourself, the music you're listening to, the movies you're watching, the people you're hanging out with, all of that yeah. is taking bits and pieces out of your cup filled with the knowledge of who God is and the yeah. sufficiency of scripture. And I think that ultimately what it comes down to is, is scripture sufficient to help you fight these battles? Is it authoritative in its dictation of what it tells you to do and not to do? Not to a legalistic sense. I'm not going to take this into the legalism, but are you following the statutes and the principles and how God has laid it out for us? And that's why I love how Paul's constantly saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh -huh. You've seen, he says this in 2 Timothy as well, you have seen my teaching, but also you've seen my conduct that mm -hmm. accompanies the teaching. So I'm not just saying the saying. I'm not just talking the talk. I'm also walking the walk. And guess what? You can do it too. And I think so often <clears throat> people think, RC, that oh, I, I can't do that. I, I've only been a Christian a year or I've only been a Christian two years or, you know, we, we all have the same spirit. Right. We're all indwelt the same amount. Yes. We so all have can. access to the same grace. Yeah, th yeah. This uh, and this idea that well, obedience on this issue is for super Christians, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not there. I mean, I I remember uh, when I was in college, just thinking, and and all of my friends were sexually active, thinking, well, this is just it's too hard not to be. I mean, you know, when God gave this law. It wasn't in the context of this culture, and it's too hard. God's just going to have to be understanding of my friends. Uh, not so. Well, and I think you're, I think you're hitting on something. A part of our desire to sin rather than to obey is, I think we justify the sinful actions in our mind that gives us the opportunity or the warrant for doing that action. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what. It's like, again, going back to that, that diet uh, analogy is like, I've earned this cheat meal. I can yep. splurge. And I don't think people have the understanding of the, the ramifications of that. Well, same right. thing here. Well, you know what? I haven't sworn in a long time. You know, I'm around the buddies. No one else is going to know. It's okay for me to start swearing or me to go out and get yep. drunk with the guys or whatever else. It's like, you justify it. And I, I right. think that's a problem, bro, is that we we can justify so much. And we see people doing that even within our own civil laws of what yeah. they try and justify to get around. And yep. we do the same thing with God's laws. Amen. Yeah. There's uh, our capacity to rationalize is uh, just shocking. Absolutely shocking. Yeah. It's depressing, but guys, there's hope. Well, RC, um, as we wrap this up, brother, is there any encouragement that you would like to give to someone who's struggling with this or someone who's listening on how can they encourage their friend to not allow sin to be their identity? Well, again, all I would say is tell the truth. You know, when, when you, 
If your understanding, if your life and if your message doesn't say good news, you're doing it wrong. Uh, you know, I, I get to wake up every day with the forgiveness of God and his love for me as my father. And uh, how can I not want to share this with other folks? So when we walk in that, under that cloud, we are implicitly diminishing the work of Christ for us and not honoring him. So again, just keep telling yourselves the truth. As you described, keep filling yourself with what the Bible says. And I would encourage you uh, folks to look at the Bible as the story of God's grace. Uh, so that, again, when you look at his law, you realize this is what God is telling us to do so that things will go well for us. This is not God saying, now I've saved you, and so I've got a long list of hard things for you to do to show you how committed you are to me. No, this is, this is again, the invitation to joy. So fill yourself and, and come to the Bible with that mindset. This is the story of God's grace to me, to my family, to everyone behind me, and some, and that can be the story of God's grace to everyone I talk to. That's good. Well, guys, I hope, I hope this encouraged you. Um, I feel like RC and I could spend several more hours unpacking this topic because there's so much with this that needs to be said, but we just hope that you guys are encouraged in your fight against sin. Fight the good fight. Don't give up. Uh, and there's hope for you. Get in the word. Find a good church, find a good community of believers, remove yourself from those situations that pull you back into sin and fight it as best as you can. But RC, thanks so much for coming on, brother. Uh, this was a, a good time, a privilege. I didn't realize how how quickly time flew by already. Um, but thank you so much for uh, everyone joining us on the show, and uh, we'll catch you guys next time.